Friends, in a couple of Sundays' time, we're going to resume our study in the book of Hebrews. We left it a good long time ago in the middle of chapter 9. So next Sunday morning, I want to just give a brief recap of what we've already received, discovered from Hebrews, just the headings of the chapters, so that the following Sunday, May the 20th, when, God willing, I shall be preaching at Balkan, David Jones can dive straight back into Hebrews chapter 9, and you'll all know where he's going. This Sunday, I want to think about something else, because, you see, over the last few weeks, we've been basking, haven't we, in the wonder and light of Easter. Today is the fifth Sunday of Easter. And I used that lovely collect in our prayers of intercession. Almighty God, you are always more ready to hear than we to pray, and to give more than we desire or deserve. Pour down upon us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid, and giving us those good things which we are not worthy to ask, save through the merits of your blessed Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Wonderful word. Well, now, the Easter season will come to an end a week this coming Thursday on Ascension Day. I think it's the 17th. And I don't want to miss Ascension. We'll be thinking about the recap of Hebrews next Sunday and then Hebrews chapter 9 on the 20th. So I want to think this morning about Ascension. It tends to get lost. It's sort of squeezed. It's like... Um, someone sitting on an underground train with two very big people either side, you know. You've got the wonder of Easter on the left and the joy of Pentecost on the, on the right and poor old Ascension's in the middle and he's getting squashed. Well, I want to unsquash Ascension this morning and share with you something of the significance of Ascension because it is so important, so important. If you've got a Bible open, um, have a look at uh, page 1001, uh, Matthew 28. And you'll see there, as uh, Hilary read to us, in verse 16, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, verse 17, but some doubted. Now, why do you think they doubted? Why? For some years now, it's been common for Christians, even some Christian leaders, to throw doubt on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that faith grows when it's nurtured, and doubt grows when it's nurtured as well. And I don't want to nurture doubt for one moment or open the door to skepticism one inch. But we can't be unfair, can we, to people who honestly struggle with doubts about the resurrection. It's no good just saying, oh, well, if you don't believe in the resurrection, that's your problem. No. We've got to ask why. Why did these disciples doubt that they were in the presence of the risen Lord? Well, it seems to me that They doubted it because it was just too good to be true. 
It seemed too good to be true. It was what they wanted so much, but they just couldn't bring themselves to believe that it was really happening. So what did they need? Well, they needed, as we need so often, a greater measure of faith. And what is faith? One little boy, when asked what he thought faith was, replied, faith is making yourself believe something you know isn't true. Ouch. It's like being punched in the stomach or stubbing your toe in the middle of the night when somebody says something like that. Well, you don't need me to tell you that he was wrong. But it's what so many people think. The true nature of faith, of course, is very different. It doesn't mean deceiving yourself. It isn't a kind of intellectual contortion whereby you convince yourself of something you know isn't true. Faith in this context is the willingness to let God show you who he is and what he's done. Faith is the willingness to let God show you who he is and what he's done. William Carey was the great missionary pioneer. I love William Carey. He was a cobbler. And he felt the call to take the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ to India. And so he called together his fellow Baptist ministers and he shared this call with them. And one of them said, young man, if God intends to convert the heathen, he can do it without your help. It's quite a disincentive, isn't it? But he wouldn't be discouraged. And his great motto was attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. And his ministry was an incredible one. Not a very spectacular one in terms of thousands of people coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, but in a sense he's the father of the modern missionary movement. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Do we expect great things from God? Do we? Do we expect God to keep his promises? Or do we just have a vague suspicion that he might, given the strength of our prayers and a following wind? J.B. Phillips, years ago, wrote a little book called Your God is Too Small. And it had a profound effect because it showed that the vision of so many Christians is limited. We don't expect God to do wonderful things. And you know, I believe this is the trouble with these, some of these disciples. They just didn't expect Jesus to keep his word. He told them he was going to rise from the dead. He told them that he was going to Jerusalem and that the Son of Man would be crucified, but three days Later, he would rise from the dead. He told them that very plainly. But they, they just didn't expect him to keep his word. And you see, when you have the wrong kind of expectations, very peculiar and unfortunate and catastrophic things can happen. 
as is evidenced by the following series of advertisements which reportedly appeared in an American small-town newspaper. Monday. The Reverend A.J. Jones has one colour television set for sale, telephone 6261313 after 7pm, and ask for Mrs. Donnelly, who lives with him cheap. <laughs> Tuesday. We regret any embarrassment caused to the Reverend Jones by a typographical error in yesterday's paper. The ad should have read, The Reverend A.J. Jones has one colour television set for sale cheap. Telephone 626-1313 and ask for Mrs. Donnelly, who lives with him after 7 p.m. <laughs> Wednesday, the Reverend A.J. Jones informs us that he has had several annoying telephone calls because of an incorrect and ad in yesterday's newspaper. It should have read, the Reverend A.J. Jones has one color, color television set for sale, cheap. Telephone 626-1313 after 7 p.m. and ask for Mrs. Donnelly, who loves with him. Thursday, please take notice that I, the Reverend A.J. Jones, do not have a coloured television set for sale. I have smashed it. Don't call 6261313 anymore. I, I have not been carrying on for me, with Mrs. Donnelly. She was, until yesterday, my housekeeper. Friday, wanted a housekeeper. Usual housekeeping duties. Good pay, contact the Reverend A.J. Jones, 6261313. Successful applicant would be expected to love in. <laughs> if you have the wrong expectations, you get the wrong result. What were the disciples expecting when they gathered on that mountainside? Were they expecting to encounter the risen Lord? Oh, they must have been very apprehensive. After all, people who've died and come back to life are very special. You don't meet them very often, do you? It would be very easy to impose their lowered, distorted expectations on what God was going to do. Surely it's not going to happen. But it did. Surely I will be with you always, said Jesus to the very end of the age. And Bishop Hanley Mole, wonderful missionary bishop of the 19th century, has this lovely variant on that. He translates it, Lo, I am with you always, all the days and all the day long. All the days and all the day long. Forgive me for sharing just a, a personal experience with you. I became a church member when I was 16, a very long time ago. But I remember it so clearly. It was in the context of a communion service, as is our tradition. And I'd made my confession of faith. And we had received Holy Communion. I was sitting down. And we sang one of Charles Wesley's wonderful communion hymns seated at our Lord's table. Jesus, we thus obey thy last and kindest word. Here in thine own appointed way, we come to meet our Lord. Our hearts we open wide to make the Saviour room. And I was about to put my hymn book down on the seat next to me, and I thought, no, you can't do that. There's someone there. And I thought, no, there isn't someone there. Why did I have that instinctive reaction? And I suddenly realized I knew who was there. 
because we had just sung. And lo, the Lamb, the crucified, the sinner's friend, is come. He was there, beside me. Just a lad of 16. And he's never left me. And he will never leave you either, if you take him seriously. And believe that he will keep his promise. But what's the real significance of the ascension? Well, of course, in one sense, it drew a line under Jesus' earthly life. He had to go away in one personal sense so that the Holy Spirit could come and fill the church. And that's what we will be celebrating in a couple of weeks' time on Pentecost Sunday. But there's an even more important and significant thing here in Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The ascension, you see, was the victory parade. It was the moment when the glory of his resurrection was sealed. The battle was won. Now it's the time for the victory celebrations. And there are so many people who get this wrong, who come unstuck here, because, you see, they think that because the ascension was a process of going upwards, they imagine that Jesus was just going up and up and up and up until he arrived at heaven, which is somewhere located between Jupiter and Mars, five miles into the stratosphere. And that's absolute nonsense, of course. Let me share with you an insight I gained some weeks ago at our apologetics evening at the Bent Arms, which was part of our mission in March. Our speaker, Justin Brierley, gave me a new insight into the nature of God. He pointed out that before time and space existed, there was, quite literally, nothing. But the person who created time and space must have been there nevertheless in order to create them. So he was outside time and space. So if we think of God in terms of location, Jesus was going up. Eight hours later, he'd arrive at the gates of heaven and there would be some great celebration. If we think in those terms, we're we're thinking completely illogically. The heavenly realm in which no doubt there was a wonderful celebration in Jesus when Jesus returned is not located in the same sense that you and I are located in a place. It's in a realm which is unknowable and indefinable in God's nearer presence. One day we shall share that nearer presence, but it won't be located in some kind of physical sense. Because of the ascension, there is a man in heaven, a physical body, the physical body of Christ ascended into heaven. And that is so important in terms of living the Christian life. So important. Yesterday uh, afternoon, or rather yesterday evening, we came back from 
Bible on the beach. It was a wonderful experience. Uh, the worship was great. Uh, Bible on the beach is a, a series of Christian celebration meetings in Eastbourne, in the Congress Theatre and various other places just around and about there. Wonderful, wonderful experience. And we came back uh, to discover that the young man who lodges with us had appropriated something my wife needed. It was a kitchen utensil that she needs. And she said to him, Alex, don't use that. I need it. And she was very cross with him. And he was just about to come home. And I was able to say, before he arrived in the kitchen, don't be too cross with him. He's just a young man. He won't do it again. Don't be too cross with him. I was able to plead his cause. I was there in the kitchen. And he didn't get the earful. He would have got otherwise. (laughs) Because of the ascension, Because of the ascension. There is a man in heaven who is constantly pleading our cause before the presence of God the Father. Showing the efficacy of his finished work. So that you and I can rest in the assurance that our sins are forgiven. And no matter how many times we mess up. No matter how much we let God down again and again and again and again if we come back to the cross and ask to be forgiven, that forgiveness is guaranteed. Guaranteed. We'll be looking at this in more detail in three weeks' time when we look at Hebrews chapter 10. But let's remember, because the Lord Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth, We can leave everything in his hands. He's won the victory. And there's one more thing. I asked Barbara to read Luke chapter 24 and the last uh, three verses. Look at verse 52. Or rather verse 51. While he was blessing them, Jesus left them and was taken up into heaven They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They stayed continually at the temple praising God. Now, why on earth should the disciples have returned to Jerusalem with great joy after they'd said goodbye to Jesus for the last time? Surely they would have, their mood would have been a somber one. Oh, gosh, we shall never see him again. No. Their doubts had disappeared. They'd grasped the most important and significant thing about this event, the victory is complete. They're a bit like Chelsea fans after they won the cup final yesterday. The youth pastor here, bless him, he's a Chelsea fan. He'll learn. But he was like a dog with two tails this morning. Well, good for him. We have actually something infinitely more wonderful to celebrate. 
And the words that really sum it up best are words at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, speaking of the moment when the perishable mortal bodies that we have are clothed with imperishable immortality, like the resurrected body of Jesus, which is now in the heavenly realms. Paul says, Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and sin gets its power from the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This week, I shall have the privilege, and it will be a privilege, of standing close by two families in their bereavement. But I shall have some wonderful news to share with them. No doubt you've been to Haywards Heath Station quite recently. No doubt you will know that just before you go up the slope to the platforms, they have installed some new ticket machines. They're the kind of things that you stick your ticket in and the barrier shoots open and you go through. Unless, of course, you've got the wrong ticket, in which case it grabs you around the waist and throttles you. Well, just recently I've been there and it seems that for some reason they're permanently open. Why? I don't know. Perhaps they've gone wrong. Perhaps they just can't be bothered to keep them closed. I don't know. Perhaps it was just that day that I saw the barriers were open. Well, you see, for Christian people, the gates of death are open. And we go through to share the risen and ascended glory of Jesus Christ. And that is what Ascension Day means. He's won the victory. The battle is over. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. And if we are in his hands, nothing and no one can destroy the hope we have. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. He keeps his promises. Amen.